What is happening, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode number three of Not Just the Tip with me, Jason Von Cannell. I'm wearing the Rocky jumper tonight, the Rocky jacket, because hey, let's be honest, it's been a rough couple of weeks. Uh, we've uh, we've taken more hits than we've dished out. In fact, we've taken uh, all hits and dished out none. So I've got my Rocky jacket on because I need a little bit of inspiration from the you know the the good man himself, and as he once told us all it ain't about how hard you hit it's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward how much you can take and keep moving forward because that's how winning is done so let's go let's get this done let's get straight into it and let's start with some fighting from last weekend's uh ufc match of tj dillashaw defeating Corey sanhagen by split decision so <clears throat> this was a really interesting fight for me um Obviously, the storylines around TJ Dillashaw returning from his two-year layoff uh, for a drug suspension, uh, coming up against Corey Sandhagen, who has been surging as of late. Uh, it went the whole five rounds. Obviously, TJ Dillashaw won by split decision. I've put up the the significant strike statistics up here because you can see that Sandhagen outlanded Dillashaw in three out of five rounds. And obviously, striking's not the, the whole story to tell uh, when it comes to fighting. I think that TJ did an extremely good job of mixing in his wrestling. Uh, I also feel that the judges were looking at the fact that TJ was walking forwards and pressuring pretty much the whole fight. So Sam Hagen clearly came in with a game plan. Obviously, he is a much taller, much longer fighter, so he knew he was going to have the length advantage. He's an extremely effective counter-striker as well. And I just don't think that he was expecting TJ Dillashaw to be able to eat the shots that he did. So, TJ actually had his eyebrow completely opened up in round one. So, you probably could have assumed that the fight could have been stopped at any minute after that because the blood was literally coming out of his eyebrow straight into his eye. But, to his credit, TJ showed his championship credentials, pushed through it, and, and ended up really taking over and pressuring uh, Sandhagen for the whole rest of the fight. Mixed in his wrestling really well, got a couple of takedowns, but spent a lot of time in dominant control positions up against the fence. Uh, did an extremely good job of minimizing the damage that Sandhagen could do. There was a little bit of controversy with this one afterwards, but you know, at the end of the day, <clears throat> I think Corey Sandhagen will come out of this a much better fighter. I think he'll understand that you can't just play off the back foot and counter-strike for a, a five-round fight and expect the judges to give you a decision. I know that the uh, new scoring rules mean that if you are winning the striking exchanges, which for the most part he did, he did do more damage, uh, that they you know, they should be scoring those rounds for you. However, who knows what these judges are looking at a lot of the time. And at the end of the day, TJ was dominating the wrestling. He was walking forward the whole time. He was landing uh, many strikes of his own. As you can see, it was extremely close as far as the striking numbers go, apart from maybe round two where Sandhagen really tuned him up. And I do feel that that was TJ adjusting to that blood coming out of his eye. Whereas you can see for the next three rounds, it was extremely tight. In the picture I've got here too, you can show he was doing a really good job of actually covering that up. Because one of the problems when you've got blood leaking into your eye is your vision on that side's extremely blurry. So TJ did a really good job of essentially just keeping his hand on his head for the rest of the fight uh, and then working off that. So look great result for TJ Dillashaw to return I think it's good for the division anyway he is a former champion he showed what former champions are, are supposed to be able to do over five rounds and uh, I think he surprised a lot of people too so I was surprised obviously when we we're coming into that fight with Dillashaw being the underdog 
I did put a little bet on him on, on my myself without telling you guys about it, because obviously if I would have told you guys, it probably wouldn't have gotten up. Uh, so I made myself back a little bit of the money that I've lost over the last week on that one. So thank you, TJ Dillashaw. Uh, the next event that I had my eyes on this week was the <clears throat> Olympic basketball. So I've been keeping a, a, a nice close eye on this because obviously basketball is one of my favorite sports. And now the NBA is over, at least to get to watch some Olympic sports. So Australia defeated Nigeria in their first game, uh, 84 to 67. Now, the Nigerian team are an extremely experienced team. They've got a lot of NBA players in their team. Uh, so this was actually a pretty good game. Australia pulled away towards the end of it. It was fairly tight uh, throughout most of the contest, but it was really in the last quarter that Australia started to dominate. Uh, my key stats out of the game, Paddy Mills... So Paddy Mills must love playing for the Boomers because when he plays for his uh, team, the Spurs, in the NBA, he is a, an extremely effective role player, but he plays off the bench. So he's not the number one go-to guy. He essentially is there to spread the floor and, and score some points, particularly from the three-point line, and he does an extremely effective job. But when, when it comes to playing for Australia, he's our go-to guy. So we play everything through him, and he just thrives under these conditions. So Paddy Mills, absolute superstar, 25 points. Five from eight from the three-point line was an amazing shooting performance. Now, my other key stats was obviously our field goal percentage. So we shot 39.4% total field goals, which is okay. Uh, one of the things that you'll notice about the international game, which is going to play into my next slide as well, is that I really like international basketball because you're actually allowed to defend. So one of the things I often criticize about the NBA, the NBA is really designed around uh, entertainment and spectacle. And obviously, because they play 84 games each per season, they don't want injuries and stuff like that to occur. So to sort of mitigate that, they really referee hard on defensive players. It's really almost impossible to, to defend properly in the NBA. So that's why the shooting percentages are always really high as well. Whereas in the international game, sometimes it can look a little bit sloppy because the defense is actually far stronger. It's really a two-way game in the international game, which is why I enjoy it. But for Australia to shoot 45.8% from the three-point line, that was an amazing shooting performance as well. Uh, our next game is against Italy uh, on Wednesday night at 6.20. So definitely tune in for that. Uh, with us winning against Nigeria, that really sets us up to dominate our group, uh, which obviously will set us up uh, very well moving forward throughout the tournament. Uh, but speaking of teams that uh, aren't going to be dominating their group, <clears throat> also had my eye on the France-USA game. So I actually fell asleep on the couch and woke up with this game on in the fourth quarter, and it was tied up uh, when the fourth quarter first started. But from what I, I went back and watched the replay, and what I, what I was saying before about uh, not being able to defend in the NBA, I really feel like the USA team was rattled by the defensive pressure of the French. And that's highlighted in this key stat from this game. So with field goal percentage, France shot 46.8% from the field. USA only shot 36.2% from the field. And out of that, uh, they I think they had a total of about 69 shots. So if they shot the same field goal percentage as France, for example, that's an extra five to six buckets. So you're looking at 10 to 12 points. And then obviously that, that lead goes away. So 
It was really interesting to watch how rattled the USA team was. I'm sure they'll be able to adjust to it and bounce back from that. It was their first game in the tournament, but they have looked vulnerable in the lead-up games as well. Not too many people really read too much into friendly games and exhibition matches, but they did lose to the Australians in an exhibition match, and I believe they did lose another game in the lead-up as well. People sort of put that down to them not really caring because they're exhibition matches, but to lose the first game against France. Now, the French, again, very good team. Uh, NBA-level stars. They've got guys like Rudy Gobert, who's the defensive player of the year. Uh, And they are going to be a very strong squad moving through the tournament, but I don't think anyone was expecting them to beat the USA uh, as first cab off the rank. So, look, well done to the French it's going to make things very interesting moving through the tournament if obviously the USA comes out of that group not as the number one seed it really makes the you know the meddling games down the track to be a a little bit more interesting but fun to watch nonetheless all right let's go to the NRL now last week's games were really interesting for me because they were much closer than than I expected and I think much closer than a lot of the odds makers actually expected as well so you would have remembered from last week's video I was speaking about the line in a lot of games and like for example the Storm's line against the Cowboys was like 28 and a half points so they're expecting the Storm to, to, to absolutely thump the Cowboys by 28 and a half to 30 points was not the case. It was actually a really, really tight contest. And the same story in the Panthers-Broncos game. Now, two weeks in a row, my Broncos have done something which has completely spoiled my tipping. Obviously, last week, uh, I tipped them when they were the favourites and they managed to completely have a bed shit and lose against the Tigers in what should have been a, a very winnable game and lost by 20 points. So stuffed up my perfect round. This week, I obviously had uh, my lock of the week was the Panthers to beat the line, which was minus 19.5 points, and the Broncos played well enough to only lose by six points. So didn't play well enough to win, but played well enough just to stuff my bets up. So it was really interesting to watch. Um, I think the Panthers are going to, they're going to have some troubles over the coming weeks. They've had a couple of key players uh, drop out, so... Be very mindful of if you if you are looking at betting on them in the next few weeks. <clears throat> I mean, they're playing the Storm this week, and I don't think that they're going to beat the Storm. They just don't have uh, the players. But the picture I've got here of uh, Thomas Flegler head-highing Isaiah Yo, uh, I'm assuming Isaiah Yo will be out this week because that was a really bad hit. Uh, knocked him out cold. Flegler obviously did 10 minutes in the bin for that. Uh, so it's interesting to even see that... Uh, the Panthers couldn't even put that many points on when Flegler was in the bin. So it's very interesting. But yeah, so Panthers now, you're going to have, uh, obviously, Isaiah Yeo's going to be out. Nathan Cleary's still injured. Brian Toto picked up an injury this week as well. So I think he's going to be out until, I think they're saying first week of the finals. James Fisher-Harris is going to be out for three weeks. I believe that's for the birth of a child. Not 100% sure. Don't quote me on that. But... As a, as a front rower, he was outstanding in this game. So this game, really, the story of this game for me was uh, uh, James Fisher-Harris versus Payne Haas. It was an awesome display by both guys. So, yeah, to list those names off again, to lose James Fisher-Harris, Nathan Cleary, uh, Isaiah Yo, Brian Toto from your team, that's really going to impact their ability to, number one, lay a platform, but number two, score points. So it'll be interesting to see how the Panthers go over the next few weeks. <clears throat> There's 
I made some key observations this weekend as well, and I've just put up here to the average winning margins of games. So I went back to when they first brought in the high contact crackdown, which was around round 12 to round 13. And I was just looking at the average winning margins of games. So the average number of points that teams were winning games by. And I'll quickly rattle these off for you. So round 13, the average winning margin was 22.5 points. Round 14 was 18.25 points. Round 15 was 23.5 points. Round 16 was 26.75 points. Round 17 was 14 points. Now, that was an origin round with only four games and a lot of players out, so take that one with a grain of salt. And then round 18 was 18.5 points, and round 19 was 16.5 points. So, as you can see, last weekend's round, apart from that origin round, had the closest margins uh, since those changes were made. And I think there's a few reasons for this. The first reason is... I think anyone who's been watching the games can see that the refs have become far more lenient on high contact, regardless of whether there's been an official change in those rules or not. Uh, obviously, Tom Flegler only getting 10 minutes in the bin for knocking Isaiah Yo out. Like, probably, I mean, six weeks ago, that would have been an immediate send-off for the rest of the game, I think. Uh, there was an example of Luke Thompson in the Bulldog-Sharks game who got 10 in the bin uh, just for a late shot on on someone, which wasn't even really uh, high contact or anything like that. Uh, so I think that one would have been 10 of the bin six weeks ago, but the Flegler one definitely would have been a send-off for the rest of the game. So you're not seeing as many send-offs or even 10 in the bins either. There's been a lot of high contact, which has just been given a penalty. I'm okay with that. I think it's a good thing. I think it's better for the games. At the end of the day... Uh, it's more exciting watching close contests than it is to watch these blowout games anyway, so I think that anything they can do to keep these contests tighter is a good thing. I think the other reason why teams aren't scoring as many points is because most teams, but especially the best teams, they've actually figured out how to exploit the six-again rule. And to explain what I mean by that, what was happening back in like round 15, round 16, where these average margins were 23 to 26 points in a, in a win, what you saw a lot of was um, a, player, a, a team would be attacking in, in the opposition's half, they'd lose the ball. Then the other team would counterattack. And because the counterattack was quite quick, the defensive team was never given an opportunity to properly set their defensive line. And the teams were just rolling, 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 rolling. Uh, completely rolling over the top of them and just scoring tries. Like, a lot of tries were just scored just running up the field, not even off kicks or anything like that. So, what I've noticed the smart teams are now doing is they're kind of exploiting the six-again rule and using it for the thing the six-again rule is brought in to actually prevent. And what I mean by that is the six-again rule is brought in to speed the game up and to stop uh, players from purposely giving away penalties to slow the game down. It's exactly what they're doing now. So to go back to that example, if you have a, one team that's maybe attacking the opposition in the opposition half and they turn the ball over, instead of just trying to tackle that player and, and just continue on as normal, a lot of the good teams are actually purposely giving away a six again on the first tackle, sometimes even on the first tackle of the next set as well. And the reason why they're doing that is because that extra two seconds that they're actually holding the player down, which is what's forcing the six again call is allowing their defense, uh, defensive line to completely reset. And then obviously, if you've got a perfectly reset defensive line, then you're going to be able to actually go on the offense with your defense from that point in time, rather than just running backwards the whole time and, and just uh, 
having just the meters up the middle of the field has been completely eaten up. So that's been really interesting. The other thing too is that you're seeing a lot of teams giving away six again after six again on their own uh, try line as well when they're defending their try line. And <clears throat> I think the main reason for that is it's actually a lot easier to defend on your try line than it is defending out on the field because you only have to run back two meters, three meters, whatever the case may be. So it's easier to reset your defensive line. So if you know that you've got a couple of players caught out of position, just give away the six again because they're not giving away penalties. So you're not going to give away any points for it, but you're at least giving your defense an opportunity to reset on the line. So it is interesting to see that as what always happens, you bring in a rule change and the best teams find out the way to exploit it uh, sooner rather than everyone else. So very, very interesting to watch. It'll be interesting to see too this weekend uh, how the games might change again if, if that is the case. And I have factored that into my tips. I've gone, because of obviously the the points are lesser or that there are less points scored, I've gone a little bit less on the anytime try scorers and also on the line betting um, to sort of counter for that. So let, let's see sort of what we can do. But first, let's talk about last week's tips. So... As I already discussed, my lock of the week was the Panthers to beat the line at minus 19.5. That lost uh, because my Broncos played just well enough to screw me out of that one. Uh, and we've already sort of covered that. Now, my speculator was an anytime try scorer multi with Justin Olam, Ruben Garrick, uh, Matt Burton, and Viliame Kikau. Now, Olam scored, the rest didn't. Uh, Ruben Garrick. I was watching the Manly game, and I don't know if any of you guys are watching it, but uh, I've never seen Tom Trebojevic stuff up a pass to Garrick so badly in a perfect try-scoring opportunity. So you can blame Tommy Turbo for screwing up the Rupert Garrick one, and you can blame my Broncos for screwing up the uh, the Panthers bet. But a fun fact, I, I went back and rewatched last week's episode, and I did say that when I was putting Matt Burton into my anytime try-scorer multi... I did say that you could pretty much throw the whole Panthers backline into a multi-bet and you'd probably do pretty well. Well, the fun fact is that every single Panthers outside back scored except Matt Burton. So you had Stephen Crichton scored, Charlie Stain scored, and Brian To'o scored on the other side. So all three tries scored by the Panthers were the backline except the one that I picked. So take that for uh, what it is and maybe you can factor that into this week's tips if you want to tip around what I tell you to tip. So obviously 0% from last week. So if we consulted the accuracy meter for the week, <clears throat> those tips were as accurate as Stevie Wonder and Ray Charles judging the Olympic diving. All right, let's move on. Rocky would want us to move on. Let's go to this week's tips. We're going to make some money this week. All right, we're going to make some money this week. So my lock of the week, this week's UFC event, you've got Uriah Hall, uh, up against Sean Strickland in the main event. Uh, my lock of the week is Uriah Hall to win. I'm not saying to win by TKO, or that's probably the most likely scenario, but I've just got Uriah Hall to win. He's not the favorite. Strickland's the favorite, and I'm surprised by that, to be honest with you. Uh, they're both running four-fight win streaks into this fight. I just think Sean Strickland... He may be a little bit underdone for this one. So this will actually be Sean Strickland's fourth fight in less than 12 months. That is a lot of training camps. That is a lot of pain and punishment on your body. And you'll often see guys who have had that sort of schedule, they just get too tired. 
The other thing too to keep in mind is the quality of the, of the opponents on their four-fight winning streak. Uh, two of the last people that Uriah Hall beat was Chris Weidman and Anderson Silva, both former champions. Again, both passed it. Uriah Hall actually won that fight against Chris Weidman without throwing a strike, even though he won by TKO, <laughs> which was because of uh, the infamous leg break by Chris Weidman throwing a leg kick and, uh, and Uriah Hall checking it. Now, the other thing too is that Sean Strickland, he used to be a welterweight and he's come up to the middleweight division. And those last, I think, three or four fights have been in the middleweight division and he has won. But the way Sean Strickland typically wins fights is by pressure. So moving forwards and pressuring his opponents. Uriah Hall is an extremely dangerous striker and an extremely dangerous counter-striker. So I do feel that over five rounds after having four fights in 12 months, I think Sean Strickland will leave openings. And I think Uriah Hall is the sort of guy who can exploit those openings as well. He's a dynamic striker. So, look, I would probably say that Uriah Hall will, will finish it within the distance by KO. But I could easily see uh, Strickland managing to sort of get all the way to the end of the fight and Uriah Hall just winning by decision because I do feel that Strickland will walk forwards until he walks into something from Uriah and then once he feels that power, I don't think he'll really want, really want a part of it and Uriah Hall will be able to pick him off. But that's my lock of the week. Uriah Hall to beat Sean Strickland by any uh, fashion at $2.66. <clears throat> now... My speculator. I'm going to go an actual speculator, a high-odd speculator, to put some money in your skyrocket this week, and it's going to be based around the NRL. So, firstly, I've got Roosters to beat the line uh, of plus 4.5 points at $1.90. So the Roosters are playing the Eels this weekend, and I don't know if any of you guys watched the Eels play last weekend, but with Mitchell Moses out of the team, their attack looked extremely clunky. So they lost to the Raiders when in a game that they were pretty well favoured to win. The Raiders had a lot of good players out as well. Uh, they had Jack Whiten was out. I'm pretty sure Josh Papali was out. You also had the young, exciting fullback that I fanboyed over a couple of weeks ago, Xavier Savage. He was out. So by all rights, it was a game that the Eels should have won, and they still didn't, and their attack looked really, really bad. I'm not expecting that to really change too much this week. Uh, the other thing about the Roosters, the Roosters are just a gritty, gritty team. So we talk a lot about how injuries are affecting, especially NRL teams, but they affect obviously every team in every game. But the Roosters have had the biggest injury woes out of any team in the NRL this year, and they never whinge about it. They literally never whinge. Last week's game... At one point in time, I'm pretty sure the Roosters were down to one man on the bench. Uh, they had like injuries to their outside backs right at the beginning of the game. And you, anyone who watched the NRL knows, you don't hold out outside backs on your bench. So if they get injured, next thing you know, it means you're generally putting second rowers out to centre and your centres out to the wings. And you've got people playing out of position. The Roosters still are just one of the grittiest teams Really, I, I, I'm, I'm used to seeing. Manly, uh, with the Stewart boys, used to be a pretty gritty team. But the Roosters just find a way to keep turning up. James Tedesco is worth all the money that they're throwing at him. He is the leader of that team. He's really, you know, taken things by the scruff of the neck. But him and the senior leadership groups, so you've got him, you've got guys like Jared Wairia Hargraves has been huge. He's played 80 minutes or close to in a lot of games this season. You've had Angus Crichton playing out of his skin. 
so those guys are, you know, they're an extremely good team. Uh, you've also got a couple of guys coming back. You've got Josh Morris coming back this week too, so that brings a bit more experience back in. I just feel that even if the Roosters... I think the Roosters can win this game, to be honest with you. But even if they don't, I think them plus four and a half points is is, is a good bet. I've also gone Tigers to beat the line of minus five and a half. So the Tigers are playing the Warriors. And the poor, poor Warriors who've been away, home, away from home for two years, I think they're probably just about at their wits end. Uh, they have a lot of big outs this week. So Roger Tuivasa-Shek, he's played his last game for the Warriors. And unfortunately, he's, he's well, it's fortunate for him. He's, he's done more than enough for that club and for the NRL. But he's gone back home now to uh, spend some time with his family and prepare to go to Rugby Union. So no RTS. They've had another injury to Adam Fanua Blake, who was their big prop recruit this year. So he's out. Tohu Harris, who is the glue that binds that club together, he's also injured. So there's some really big outs for the Warriors. Now, the Tigers, on the other hand, they, they're a sort of, they're a bit of a basket case. Uh, like, obviously, they, they pumped the Broncos two weeks ago, then they got pumped by Manly last week. But Adam Dewey is an ab- is, he's in an amazing run of form. He can score points, he can set up points. Uh, the Tigers are really one of those rocks or diamonds teams. And they've kind of been like this for years, really. But on their day, they can show up and they can smash anyone. I just feel like the Warriors' heads might have dropped just enough now where the Tigers uh, may walk over them in this in this match. Look, you never know. Obviously, all my other tips have been wrong lately. But I just see the Tigers beating the line, and that's at $1.90. Now, I'm going to throw in some anytime try scorers as well. So I picked up, so Justin Olam from the Storm, he's paying $2, and Josh Adokar from the Storm, he's paying $1.36. So the Storm are playing the Panthers this weekend, and as I was saying before, the Panthers have a lot of key guys out, uh, particularly, obviously, Brian To'o on the wing. Um, I do feel like the Storm will want to make a statement in this game. So this is the grand final rematch, it should be match of the round, but... With the amount of plays that the Panthers have out, I think that the Storm are going to want to show how many points they can put on the Panthers when they do have their stars out and hope that maybe those mental scars remain once uh, the finals actually come around. I do expect the Storm to put a big score on the Panthers. I think they'll be too clinical. Uh, I think they'll be buoyed by news this week of Craig Bellamy's re-signed for another five years. So that's huge news for Storm fans. So I do see... Uh, Storm putting a score on them and look, Justin Olam, at least I picked him last week, he is always good value he should have had two last week but they pulled one off him for a ridiculous uh, uh, obstruction call, but I reckon those two guys will get him Uh, my next anytime try score is David Fafida uh, from the Titans at $1.83 now, anyone who watched that Titans game last week, he was extremely damaging and I'll tell you what, he has to be. Uh, for a guy who's on about $1.2 million a year, I was really surprised to see that the Titans only used him off the bench in the first half, and they brought him on with only 16 minutes to go in the first half. So you're getting paid $1.2 million a year to not do any of the tough work or anything like that? You better be a game-breaker. And by golly, he was. Uh, he scored a try. I'm pretty sure he scored two or three himself, set up a couple was so damaging every time he got the ball. I'm expecting, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So I wouldn't be surprised if they use him the exact same way this weekend. So him uh, to score any time at $1.83, I think is pretty good value. 
Uh, and then you've also got Morgan Harper from Manly paying $2.10. So uh, Morgan Harper killed it last weekend, scored three tries. And I think that, I mean, everyone's probably guilty of doing exactly what I do. And they just think that once Tommy Turbo's back in the team, they're probably got, Manly's probably going to attack down that left-hand side with uh, Turbo and Ruben Garrick playing off each other. But when DCE's in the team, he likes playing down the right side as well. And their right side is just as potent and just as effective. And Morgan Harper, uh, he's sort of a bit of an unsung hero at the moment. So I'm not sure how many tries he's got for the season. I think it'll be about sort of nine or ten. Uh, but he does sneak through and score pretty often. Uh, and in a, in a game, obviously this weekend, where Manly, again, are pretty heavily tipped. Uh, they are playing the Sharks. The Sharks have a couple of big injuries too. Obviously, Sean Johnson being out is a big one as far as scoring points. Uh, I think Manly's just one of those teams, they're going to be hard to stop come finals time. If they can keep their uh, players on the park, they're really well poised to do some damage in the finals. So I expect the same this weekend. So Morgan Harper in, anytime try score at $2.10. So for a total odds of $39.88, I think that is huge value in your skyrocket. I've already put my bet down uh, for that. So any of you audio listeners, I'll read that one out to you again. My multi is Roosters to beat the line of plus 4.5 at $1.90, Tigers to beat the line minus 5.5 at $1.90, and anytime try scorers, Justin Olam from the Storm at $2, Josh Adokar from the Storm at $1.36, David Fafita from the Titans at $1.83, Morgan Harper uh, from Manly at $2.10, total odds of $39.88 in your skyrocket. Good luck. Thank you for sticking with me. Happy punting, enjoy the Olympics, and let me know what sports you guys are watching because, uh, like I said, I love watching sports, but I also love sharing them with you guys as well. Thanks very much for joining me. We'll see you next week.